Welcome to the One and O podcast, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. The One and O podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast channel. And today on the One and O podcast, we'll discuss Texas' two recent additions to its 2021 class, and Ishmael Ibrahim and JD Coffey. We'll just talk about COVID news as the players are returning to campus, and some are even uh, showing positive tests. And we'll also talk about. Juwan Mitchell's recent statement as part of what's been a very, very eventful week in University of Texas athletics. Listen to both our show and the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast hosted by Kevin Dunn and Scipio Tech. Subscribe to our channel wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review to let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about. And if you'd like to contact us directly, please send us emails at everyone gets a trophy with the number one at gmail.com. That's everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com. And of course, our show would not be possible without following sponsors. Audio visual consultations, 512 255 8678, the phone number to call to get the home TV setup of your dreams. We're inching closer and closer to football season. We're also inching closer and closer to the return of sports. There's no better time than right now to get that TV set up done the right way in the comfort of your own home with the professionals at Audiovisual Consultations. Call them once again, 512-255-8678. And the One to Know podcast is also brought to you by Altstadt Beer. It is German beer made here, brewed in Central Texas, available wherever you shop for beer in Central Texas. Also available in the DFW Metroplex and the Houston areas as well. Make sure next time you're picking up a six-pack, you give Altstadt Beer a try. It's Altstadt Beer. No impurities, no regrets. So we'll start with the uh, on-field news or the on-recruiting trail news. Good news, Texas fans have been kind of looking for amidst what's been a tumultuous couple of weeks since since we last recorded. It, there's been good progress made on, on several different fronts, but it's been – there's a lot going on in this country, and so – uh, good news for the Longhorn coaches this past week include the commitment of cornerback Ishmael Ibrahim from Dallas Kimball High School and safety J.D. Coffey from Kennedale High School. Uh, these guys basically committed at the exact same time. They're close friends. I believe they train together. Uh, they may be from different parts of the Metroplex, but uh, they they basically kind of put their commitment videos together, I believe, and had the, had a similar ending when they both realized, oh, you're going to Texas too. Hmm. Uh, but two great additions on the defensive side of the ball for Chris Ash and Jay Valai, two guys who, uh, without a ton of connections, to, or at least Chris Ash's case, without a ton of connections to this state, uh, who made up some ground in both cases. Jay Valai obviously has connections to DFW after playing there and uh, being a trainer there for several years, but. These are two commitments that they had to make up some serious ground with uh, on, on, in, in, in both recruitments, and uh, Texas is going to reap the benefits of both of them because I think they're two great fits for the system, and they also really coincide well with what they already have on campus. Yeah, Joe, I think it's total coincidence that these guys committed at the same time. I don't <laughs> think that was planned at all. But regardless, yeah, two big gets for Texas, for Chris Ash, for Jay Valai, for Tom Herman, for this entire football program. Look, just to start things off, you can never have too many good defensive backs in this conference, right? Very pass-happy league, the Big 12. You always need to have your defensive back room loaded. Hell, we saw that last year at UT when seven of the defensive backs on this football team were injured by the fourth week of the season. You can never have too many quality defensive backs, and this past defense needs to improve. It was one of the worst in college football in 2019. I know these guys aren't going to be here until 2021, but if you want to get back to DBU, you got to start continue, I should say. They've recruited pretty well, but you got to continue to recruit at the highest of levels when it comes to defensive backs, and you also have to develop a little bit better than you have. So getting these guys is big. Ibrahim is a bigger corner, 6'1", 175, a guy who had offers from just about anywhere in the country, Bama, LSU, Georgia, OU, A&M, just to name a few. Uh, The 13th-ranked cornerback in the country. Just doing a little bit of reading up on him. He seems to be really solid closing on the football, plays light on his feet, has good hips, and is a good tackler as well. And then J.D. Coffey, the safety, uh, also on the right side of six feet. He's the seventh-ranked 
safety in the country, a guy who had offers from, once again, some big-time programs across the country, LSU, Florida, Michigan, Notre Dame, just to name a few. A guy who started all three years that he's been at Kennedale. You assume he's going to start this year as well. Uh, Amassed some honors, all-state, all-district. He was the defensive MVP of his district last year. And he's a track guy as well, so you know he's got great athleticism. So these are two big gets for Texas. Also, attacking the Metroplex, Joe, I think is a big thing because the Longhorns haven't been great up in DFW for the last decade. They bring in one or two seemingly every year, but it kind of feels like they've lost the Metroplex to Oklahoma and to A&M, and it feels like a lot of DFW kids are getting poached by other schools. It's nice to see Texas handle their business in-state and also get some guys from up there as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because before I got into the, the, the details on each player, I, I think that's in really important to know. Uh, Texas has not been a very strong force up in the Metroplex over these past couple of years, and they've had opportunities to hire guys known as DFW Rainmakers and you know, those, those tags get kind of thrown around flippantly from time to time, but that, that doesn't mean that the, Texas has had a super strong presence in DFW. And these are two guys to, where even to kind of get in the door on this recruitment, you had to have those those types of guys with connections to DFW. And luckily they had that with Jay Valai, and uh, at least in Ibrahim's case, they made it happen. And there's still guys up in the Metroplex that they are looking at and uh, on both sides of the ball, namely quite a few receivers uh, and some defensive linemen, but this is a good start, and it, it's it's good that Texas is finally kind of getting into basically the talent hotbed of high school football in this state. I mean, I've, I think we've discussed on this before about how Houston, as talented as it is, it, the single school districts in Dallas provide an infrastructure for so many of these student athletes that is really unmatched across the country, and to be able to get talent from some of those places like McKinney, like even Kennedale, DISD is a little bit different story, but you know that there's a lot of different, there's a lot of talent still in that district. You look at, I mean, they just pulled them out of Kimball. Skyline produces people every year, or produces great uh, quality prospects every year. So to get back there and to kind of build a little bit of momentum, not only just with the program, but with kids up in that area, uh, kids who have a, a pretty good influence I think that's extremely important. We'll see if it plays out. And the other thing uh, before going into the details about the players is these guys are close with Austin product, LBJ high schools, Andrew Makuba, another safety mm. uh, who that is a, one of the better players in this state. He's a guy that Clemson is after, and they're not just giving him lip service. This is a guy that Clemson is after. So that the, the addition of those two to the class bodes well doesn't mean that they're going to get them but i mean it, it helps to have these guys in their ear telling them burnt orange stuff as opposed to a little bit shade of uh shade of <laughs> crimson orange but to talk about the the actual players i think you mentioned it with ibrahim he's a guy who he's got the good frame he's got a ability to add uh, uh, a lot of weight on and he's had, already got a good start 175 that's kind of a typical place you see uh corners enter college at at that weight and he can probably get up to 190 without too much problem once he gets college strength and conditioning and again you can take these guys who are probably a lot better athletes than uh technicians right now not to say that ibrahim isn't is lacking skill but he's he's not some super refined prospect yes he trains yes he's he's probably one of the best players in disd uh, but he still has some stuff that he's got to work on. And now that Texas, A, had a great turn of events in this past signing class with Jade Barron uh, getting out of his Baylor NLI and choosing Texas, mm-hmm. that gives you a two-corner class there with him and Keaton Crawford. He had a couple corners in the class of four. So now the depth chart is building and built up to where you can take these guys and have, for Jay Valai really prove your developmental uh, ability with these guys and playing in a, like you mentioned, one of the most difficult conferences to play pass defense in. I'm glad you used the D word, Joe, development. I mean, needless to say, that's been a huge problem at Texas for the last decade plus. An interesting quote from Ishmael Ibrahim. Now, I love it, and I hope this quote comes to fruition, but 
it's interesting perspective and it's different perspective than what we've heard from a lot of recruits over the last few years. Ishmael Ibrahim, after committing to Texas earlier this week, said, quote, We went there because we are trying to bring DBU back. Chris Ash put a lot of guys into the NFL, and I'm looking forward to getting developed, end quote. I would love for both of those things to become true. I would love for DBU to come back. And a lot of people would argue, well, DBU isn't a year-by-year thing. It's the whole history of this secondary, of this football program that makes up a DBU. And that's fine if you want to get into the historical argument of DBU. You can easily throw Texas into that conversation and probably to the very top of that conversation. But if we're talking about the last five to ten years, and especially last year, don't forget Texas before the LSU game, they took the field during warm-ups wearing DBU shirts before they got absolutely torched by Joe Burrow and LSU. Now, everybody got torched by Joe Burrow and LSU, but the Texas defense got torched by just about every opposing quarterback all year long. So I love that. I would love to bring DBU back. That sounds great. We need that to get back to where Texas wants to be. But the other thing, getting developed. Getting developed, and the numbers back it up. It's not even opinion. It's fact at this point. Development has been a huge issue at the University of Texas, and Texas brings in just about as many blue-chip prospects as anybody in college football, but they are not turning those guys into NFL players. Definitely not high-round draft picks in the NFL, but hell, even drafted players at all. That's been a huge issue, and of course, these top 10, top 5 recruiting classes that the Longhorns somehow keep bringing in every year is not translating to wins on Saturdays in the fall. So I love the optimism, but I'm skeptical in terms of these guys getting developed because that has been the biggest issue surrounding this football team for the last 10 years. Yeah, these coaches are going to have to prove that they're able to do it because if they're able to do it, it'll bode well for the on-field product this year especially with a lot of the lack of, you know, the lack of spring practices they've had. But that's, what's, I guess, the topic a little bit closer to the season. We can get into J.D. Coffee a little bit more now. Uh, Kennedale, isn't that a, I think that's a 4A school in the Metroplex, a sing, another single school district, but a little bit different in a single school district at Kennedale than compared to somewhere like Allen or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, this is a guy that's been on UT's radar for a while and kind of, at a point last year came off of their radar. Uh, I remember, you know, preparing, uh, hearing and preparing to uh, see a commitment from JD coffee about this time last year. Uh, And so this was somebody that the previous staff was really interested in. And then for whatever reason, didn't really seem like that interest continued. And then when the new staff came in, Chris Ash saw what he, what coffee offered and saw that he wanted him in his class. And I've seen a lot of people, including Oliver on Inside Texas, we've kind of made, not comparisons, but they play a similar game. And and Jaron Thompson from Lufkin in last year's class and Xavier Alford from Shadow Creek, two guys who play safety, uh, who in watching their film, you can really tell that they are true students of the game. Uh, Playing safety to me is, can you get to the right spot as quickly as possible? And I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, maybe they aren't at this point as quickly as possible than some of the other guys, but these guys have shown a great knack for being in the right spot constantly. And I think that's kind of what you're getting out of JD coffee. And I think you're getting some toughness too. He can tackle Mm -hmm. and you know, he's not a huge safety by any means. He's not like a BJ Foster was coming out of high school at six, two and, uh, brushing up against 200 pounds, if I remember correctly. But this is a guy who doesn't mind getting his face into the business and and really showing up and playing a hit onto the opponent. And that's a good start. And that's going to, hey, you know that D word we were talking about, development? That's a skill that's also got to be developed, not only for these guys, but basically everybody on the Texas defense this year. Uh, but still in a press quarter system that we hear about, you want to have some safeties who know where to be. And again, being in the Big 12, you got to know where to be. Mm-hmm. Offenses want to make you as confused as possible. So to get these really heady players who have a good knack for the ball, good knack for knowing where to be, and then getting that athleticism out later, I think you can kind of see what you're looking what You can see what Chris Ash is looking for in his defensive back prospects. And 
Uh, Coffee's an exciting addition and just kind of shows that the defensive side of the ball seems to have it rolling on the recruiting trail. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you think J.D. Coffee projects as when he gets to UT? I mean, obviously he's got another year of high school, but you know, I've seen some comparisons to the guys you mentioned. I also saw a Chris Brown comparison, and I saw, I think it was on Inside Texas, I saw one of the U insiders sort of say that J.D. Coffey can project as a box safety or even a spur-type player in this Chris Ash, Chris Ash defense. Uh, right now, do you sort of see a certain guy on the team or a certain position that you think he's most likely to be when he gets here? Uh, I, I don't know at this point. I, I would have to think. I don't know about spur quite yet because those are guys I'm kind of thinking they want to be a little bit thicker. I mean, it's not going to be that exact same super nickel position that we saw uh, Todd Orlando try to deploy last year. But, I mean, basically the guys that they're playing, even though they were recruited as defensive backs, they're going to instruct them like linebackers. So he may be a, a possibility there, but I do like these smart players in the back end who, like I mentioned, know where to be and can diagnose and, and react in front of them. So I I don't know where he might project right now. I would think he'd be further away from the line of scrimmage than Spur, or, but that's still something we have at least a year and you know hopefully another high school football season yeah. to, to see where it's at. No doubt, no doubt. 12th and 13th members for the class of 2021. The class currently sits at 9th in the country. It is the top-ranked class in the Big 12. And good to get some four-stars, Joe. I know a lot of Longhorn fans, including myself, getting a little bit concerned with the surprising number of three-stars uh, that Texas has picked up on this recruiting cycle. Now, I don't want to completely knock the three-stars. I mean, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the LSUs, uh, big-time programs pick up three-star kids every year. But we kind of saw a an interesting trend of multiple three stars committing in a short window. And a lot of Texas fans were like, well, is this, are we settling for guys now? Are we starting to lose some steam on the recruiting trail? Uh, it's good to get some four star kids, some blue chip guys back in the fold for this class of 21. Yeah, especially, I mean, I think uh, Trey and I talked about this not too long ago when on the horn about the blue trip ratio, about if you, Basically, Bud Elliott every year, uh, this year on 247, if you want to win the national title, your roster has to be composed of more than 50%, over 50% of blue chip players. Mm -hmm. She calls four and five stars. And Texas has been there. And the thing is, Texas is right behind, at least on this ratio, uh, Ohio State, uh, what is it? Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama, I believe. So. They're there. They have the ability. It's just got to be the coaching. And so as far as the three-star run, I mean, yes, of course, if you're going to compare Jonathan Brooks to, say, someone like Kamar Wheaton, who's the best running back in the state, yeah, you want to get that Kamar Wheaton and have him, and Texas is still in it for him, but you still, you know, you can't have, you can't have literally every single thing that you want, I guess. It's, you got to have to have, you have to have complementary pieces and at least in the case of running backs, you have Jonathan Brooks, who is a small school guy from Hallettsville and fits the need, and you need running backs. Not to say that he's just the body there at the position. He's shown athleticism, but, you know, the three stars, at least at Texas, in a perfect world, kind of set the floor of the position, and you hope the ceiling goes up from there. So mm -hmm. uh, definitely you want to start getting more and more guys like the Coffees, like the Ibrahims, and then keep going like the Makubas uh, in, in your class. But uh, I don't think it's anything we panic about quite yet. I think there's some positions that definitely need some scrutiny, at least on the recruiting trail for this cycle. But, you know, we're still six months away, or at least, you know, what, five-ish? No, six months away mm -hmm. from signing day, most likely, that first one, maybe exactly. So yeah, it's, it's better than not having any recruits. And for a while during that 2019 season, there was nothing going on on the recruiting trail, at least for this 2021 class. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, Joe, what, uh, what do we have next? Are you ready to transition? Yeah, let's, let's, uh, we'll, we'll talk about some stuff that's, that's not as fun as, you know, Texas is one of hundreds of schools beginning a, a what they call an onboarding process. Uh, for their student athletes for football specifically, um, since that is uh, the up, <laughs> I think that that is the closest men's sport uh, to the start of their season. Uh, volleyball, of course, will start, but I think they're on a 
little bit different schedule. And that's, you know, as, as great as that program is, it doesn't bring the attention that Texas football does. So all everybody is kind of paying attention amidst COVID-19 and everything that seems to have maybe changes every week with this, that Texas is starting to bring players back to campus for what the Big 12 and I think the NCAA is calling voluntary off-season workouts. And I think in their first when they first onboarded the returners, so anybody who basically wasn't a transfer or a freshman, uh, they, they had a couple cases pop up. I believe they had just one with a couple of players who also showed that they had the antibodies, which we think means that they had it and cleared it mm-hmm. and so are moving on. But just the other day on Thursday, June 18th, Texas announced that they had 13 who were positive or presumed positive, and that they had 10 who were in self-quarantine because of tracing due to that. Now, they're not releasing any names, of course, because of health privacy laws, and that upset some of the players who (laughs) learned from insider reports on Twitter as opposed to from their coaches who exactly had it, but the coaches can't reveal that or else (laughs) you're going to get some uh, federal privacy lawsuits launched on you. Uh, but still, that's kind of all beside the point. Texas is, even with all this onboarding process and even with the guys that they're, the freshmen and other stuff like that that they're going to bring in this week, they and several other programs throughout the conference, country, and region are having players who are showing up with COVID-positive tests. So what's what do you think is to make of this? I mean, what is this? Obviously, anybody contracting COVID is, is not great because of all the unknowns about this virus even though it does seem as if younger people (laughs) younger than us are in good shape whenever they get it but still it's not something you want to test your fate with but what do you think of seeing these positive tests pop up uh with all these student athletes returning to campus yeah i wish i knew what to make of this joe i mean the numbers are startling for sure right you mentioned 13 players have tested positive for covid19 only four days into the return of summer workouts. And then 10 more student-athletes are also self-quarantining because of contact tracing. So they're staying away from the rest of the football team because they've been associated with those 13 guys who tested positive for COVID-19. So we're talking about 23 right there. And then the four you mentioned who have tested positive for antibodies, that's 27 players right there. 27% of the football team has been sidelined due to COVID-19, Joe. Now, it's better that this is happening now than on August 19th, but still, that's pretty startling when more than one-fourth of the football team is dealing with COVID-19. I don't know what to make of these numbers. I'm still being confident. I'm still being optimistic about the return of college football. I do think it's going to happen, but you've got those numbers. Then you've got Dr. Fauci saying yesterday that, well, I think football can't happen unless they play in a bubble like what the NBA or what the MLS is doing. And that's not very good because you can't make that happen, especially with college football, right? There's no way you can put all of these student athletes in some sort of bubble. So not great news over the last 48 or 72 hours. But I guess the silver lining is, once again, it's better that they're getting this now than closer uh, closer to the season And hopefully all of these protocols that the university has put in place is going to get these guys up and healthy and is going to slow the spread of this virus to the other guys on the team. It's startling for sure, though, Joe. No question about that. Yeah, just to kind of touch on the the Fauci part that you mentioned, and, and I understand completely where he is coming from, but you also have to understand that Dr. Fauci, at least from my perspective and how I understand it, he's looking at it only through the health perspective. He he probably does. He probably may know or may not understand that college athletics lives and dies off of football. And I understand that he would want to say, "Hey, if you're going to do this, this is probably the only way that you can do it for a you know safest possible method." And not to say that the colleges are just going to be flippant and just say, "No, we we don't want to be safe." But there's there's got to be some concessions from the overall only looking at it from the health perspective. It's just kind of how this this process works. So I understand where he's coming from on that, but 
I don't think that you can take literally everything he says no. the way it should be done just because it, it it's it's not going to work that way like you mentioned with college sports. I don't but, trust I don't trust that guy at all, Joe. I mean, that's probably a <laughs> stupid thing to say considering he's a doctor and he's been an expert in this field for decades now, like longer than you and I have been alive, but I feel like Dr. Fauci has taken every possible angle you can have with COVID-19 since this thing has started. Mm-hmm. Like, one day he'll say, oh, do this. And then two days later he'll say, ah, don't do this. And then one day he'll say, ah, go here. And then a couple days later he'll say, nah, don't go here. It's like he's taken every possible stance you could have on this virus. So, look, right. we're all learning together. I trust him more than I trust myself on this thing. But, like, he's been wrong a lot to this point. He's the only doctor I know who gives his own second opinions on things which uh, that always feels pretty bizarre. So, yeah, I I don't think I'm alone anymore. Like, I think at the beginning, just about everybody was trusting Dr. Fauci and everything he said and was trying to follow everything that he did. I'm not advising you to not, but I think a lot of people are kind of on my side with this thing. Like, all right, this guy's been wrong a lot. Uh, maybe we don't need to take his word as law all the time, and I pray and hope that he is wrong with this one. Right, and I just have to remember the lens that he's uh... – he's looking at it through but as far as the the team coming back you know it's it's you have these two options would you prefer that players stay home without possibly without access to you know university training and medical uh without potentially access to a test um without if they're going to play this season without access to facilities or do you think it's better to bring them all together uh, from their wide variety of places, obviously mostly Texas, but still some from out of state, bring them together, test them, find out if they have it, and then go from there. It's basically which of those two options do you believe is best? Uh, and, and it looks like obviously Texas and several countless other programs believe that the bring them in, test them, and find out is the way to do it. Now, as far as what they're doing, I remember uh, Tom Herman, I believe even Chris Del Conte has mentioned, they basically kind of have muscle beach going on at the Denius practice field. They Hmm. have put uh, some weight equipment outdoors on the practice fields, I believe in three different places. So they can distance, they can sanitize the equipment and all that. Uh, So that they're, they're being creative, uh, especially with the, ongoing construction in the south end zone about how these guys can do their voluntary workouts um we'll see what continues to happen i mean at some maybe i I don't know it's there's a reason they call it a novel coronavirus because it's new and we learn stuff and like you mentioned we've learned so much since i remember looking today on on juneteenth uh that you know that a hundred days ago was when that Jazz mm-hmm. and Thunder game was called off, and it was. We've learned so much, and have obviously gone through so much in those hundred days since that since that game. So, we'll still. There's a lot to be determined. We still are what a little bit less than 80 days away from the kickoff, and we know a lot of things can change until then. I I guess I'm under the opinion that, hey, you, it's better to know. Wouldn't, wouldn't you rather know if you yeah. have this thing? And so you can, if, if you do have it, stay at home, get the right treatment, do the right thing, and, and not spread it to anybody else as opposed to or stay stay in your living area, maybe not your hometown, or compared to, you know, staying at home, not knowing, and, and, and just not knowing in general. I, I, I am kind of the opinion that getting that information is the best way, and I think that's what Chris Del Conte has echoed over and over and even on an interview on the horn uh mentioned hey one of our best defenses for this is education and they're trying to educate all their student athletes all the football players everybody about best practices and best ways to make sure that they can work out safely responsibly and try to still be limiting the spread of this virus yeah, I think that's the way you have to do it. I mean, if you are going to have a college football season and one that starts on time, you just have to know. And right now, these are just voluntary workouts. Now, voluntary is taken with a grain of salt. You pretty much have to go to these things. They're not so voluntary. That's just a nice way of making this legal in terms of NCAA practice rules. 
but they're workouts. So the coaches aren't on campus right now, and I think it's relatively easy, or at least easier, to maintain social distancing while doing these workouts, while lifting weights, while running. You don't have to have contact, and I don't think there is any contact between players going on right now. So I think this part of the process is relatively easy. You want to test your guys and, and isolate them to prevent the spread, but I also... Like, you, the big question becomes, okay, what happens when we get to fall practice? When you're going to have to run contact drills, you're going to have to practice tackling, you're going to have to run scrimmages. What happens there when the physical element, the contact element of this contact sport comes into a time when we're trying to keep our distance? That's the big question for me. I mean, these numbers are already startling, but keep in mind, we haven't even brought contact into the equation just yet. What are the numbers going to be once fall camp gets around? Uh, that's going to determine if we actually have a season and if the season starts on time. Yeah, I, I am with you 100%. So I actually i am going to spring something on you a little bit before we move on to obviously a very serious topic with what's all been going on. But, you know, if you listen to the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast, they had an episode not too long ago called uh ostalgia or revolving around ostalgia and and paul and kevin being the uh the age that they are reflected on so many of the different places that they used to go to during their time at ut or living in austin and you know just kind of oh man those were the days <laughs> those were the days and not to make fun of them too much but uh, just you know, a couple of boomers just yeah exactly but still there's just because you and I, what, you're 26 or 27? 26. 26. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm literally one month away from it. You know, we're, we're at an age to where stuff has come and gone even within our lifetime. And so I'm trying to think, and I want you to think of one place around campus from our time there that's no longer there that you wish was still there. Mm. I've got a couple ideas, but I, I think – one really stands out, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts on it are. Well, I think the one that sticks out for me, and I'm going to stall a little bit here so I can try to think of a couple more, but I have a feeling this may be the same one that you're thinking of. It is Quattro's, a.k.a. Tap 24. It used to be Quattro's Ooh, for a long a time. I, okay. I didn't think of that one, but uh, that is a good one. Yeah, on 24th Street, it was Quattro's for a long time. Very popular sit-down restaurant slash sports bar. And then it turned into Tap 24, maybe during our freshman year of school, Joe, like early in our college careers. I can't, ima- I can't remember exactly when, uh, but they had Dollar Beer Night. They had Dollar Marg Night. It's just a great place to go watch some sports and drink with some buddies. Uh, that place is shut down, and I think just like everything else in West Campus, it's been turned into a high-rise. So that's the one that comes to mind right now. I'm trying to think of other places that aren't there. I mean, Cain and Abel's is still there. The local is still there. Uh, the lo- I don't think the local's there anymore. Oh, I think yeah, they changed their name. Now. Yeah, they did change their name. It's still a bar, but it is something different. You're right. Um is Love Goat still there? You remember going to the Love, Love Goat? Love Goat, unfortunately, is still there. <laughs> Love Goat is still there, unfortunately. See, the thing I miss most is the McDonald's on Martin Luther King. No, I'm joking there. Um, if I had to pick, I think, you know, Players is a big one, but that was Ooh. gone pretty quickly, I think, within our first few years uh, that were now replaced by a giant giant building it for the McCombs Business School, I think, for their graduate program. Mm-hmm. One I really miss, but the building is still there because of it being a historical society or a historical building, is Freedman's. Because not only did you have mm. some barbecue off of, I believe, the Mueller family tree of barbecue, but you had one of the best whiskey or brown liquor selections I have ever seen. And in West Campus, it was a little bit expensive for like the regular students, but still, there were some times when I would go there and check it out just to see what they had, what I could sample, and also just stuff my face with brisket and ribs. I think that's the one I miss most because if it were still there, I think I'd be making trips to it very often, especially when I'm there hanging around around campus. Yeah, I think Friedman's wasn't really marketed towards the college kid, right? I mean, college students would go because it was in West Campus, but it was like way nicer 
than your stereotypical West Campus restaurant slash bar. Like, it was sit-down. It was a little bit upscale in terms of pricing. And, yeah, they had a great liquor selection, too. I wish I went there more. I, I lived right by there for most of my college career. I went a few times for sure, but... Yeah, that was uh, that was a great spot. That was bummer news when uh, when they did shut it down, and then to go complete opposite end of the spectrum, Joe, uh, to a place that's very much a college restaurant. I was a big Fat Sal's fan. Did you ever go to Fat Sal's? Of course you were. Yeah. Here's the thing. I I was okay with Fat Sal's. There were some after midnight. Uh, big bite calls after six yep. street big bite calls from my phone. That's another one I I do kind of miss because. You know, what other place other than a place like Big Bite or Fat Sal's are you going to get a hoagie with French fries and mozzarella sticks and chicken and cheese on it? Like, I mean, what else do you want after going out on 6th Street? What else sounds good at 2.30 a.m. other than something like that? So I think, uh, man, um, I can't believe I'm admitting that publicly, but, you know, whatever. Um, Big Bite, Fat Sal's, just the classic college stuff your face for – no reason and for very little money. Those are the places I remember. But, hey, some places are still there. Like you mentioned, Cain and Abel's is still there. Uh, I don't know if Fricano's is there anymore. No, it uh, shut down, what? man. It shut down right at the start of this pandemic, too. I remember back in April, mm-hmm. I had to go to West Campus or at least near West Campus for something. And it was right around lunchtime. And I'm like, dude, I haven't been to Fricano's in a while. I'm right here. This place is incredible. Let me get me a sandwich and at the time, it was just temporarily shut down, but then they announced like a couple of weeks later that it was shut down for good. So, Fricanos is no moss, man. That's uh, And there's been plenty of Austin institutions, not just in West Campus, obviously, that have been shut down or have had to shut down because of this pandemic. Uh, Fricanos was one that definitely hurt. Hey, Orange Market is still there. Oh, yeah. I don't think that, place will never, that, place. that place will never go away. Uh, if there's a threat, oh, like if they're short on money, then people will start a GoFundMe and raise money to keep the lights on at that place. Like everybody who's lived in West Campus, or at least that part of West Campus, will uh, will do their part to support Wasik Khan and the crew at Omart. Man, that place will never die. Were you on a first name basis with them? Oh yeah, oh yeah, man. Cool. I I still try to go back every once in a while too, uh, and, and say oh, hi. Man. And the overnight guy like still remembers me, still knows me, and now when I go, he gives me my snacks for free, which is incredible. I man, I spent like um, thousands of dollars there, so it's probably <laughs> the least he can do. But uh, yeah, I I love that place. Anytime I'm in West Campus, I'm willing to pay the ridiculous overpriced West Campus prices to uh, to support that joint for sure. Oh man! I walking in there, seeing Keystone Light stacked floor <laughs> ceiling. Oof, man, those were times. Yeah, I have to grab but, a four loco every time I'm uh, every time I'm in there. Have to required. Yeah. But another moving on from obviously a very light conversation to a serious one that literally everybody is having these days, and uh, I think obviously we're recording this on Juneteenth, very poignant day to to have this conversation and. You know, something that I think I've noticed over the past couple weeks is I think I knew about Juneteenth. I know I knew about Juneteenth. I think we all kind of do in Texas because it happened in Texas. It happened in Galveston. And I know, you know, I grew up going to Galveston every now and then and would hear that history lesson. Your family has connections to Galveston now. It's interesting that, you know, so much of the country is learning about that occasion and what the Union Army did on that day to free the slaves in the South. So amid all that on this day, it's, it's very timely that Texas is having some very serious and emotionally charged conversations about a lot of its longstanding traditions. And, and, and as part of this, I believe it was last Friday, uh, Texas, a lot of Texas student athletes, uh, mostly football players, a handful, I saw I think a handful of basketball players and some others, from other sports do it, but obviously football grabbed the attention, uh, released a list of requests. And most of them are, are very, very reasonable. Like let's consider, you know, RLM, the ugliest building on campus named after a person with a noted miserable history Mm -hmm. uh, towards not just people of different races, but people of different genders uh, and religions. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, and uh, you know, you can, you can know what he did from a mathematician and scientist perspective without honoring him for 
some of and honoring him and kind of sweeping other things under the rug about his personal history. Painter Hall was another one that they recommended as far as some of the building names that they wanted to see changed. And, hey, you remember that Supreme Court case, Painter v. Sweat? Well, that's the painter. And Sweat was a African-American who I believe wanted to gain admission to UT's law school. Uh, and Painter, who I believe was either a UT president or administrator at the time, uh, he, was, he was on the other side of it in that Supreme Court case. Um, did he do things that were good for the university in separate areas? I'm sure. I haven't researched it terribly hard, but if you're a president of the university, you probably do some good things. But still, he, his name today is associated with that Supreme Court case, and that's not a great thing that you want to glorify, and it's hard to separate. So you got that's just a couple of examples, and that was part of their list of requests. And some of the other things are going to be, require some negotiation between the student athletes and administrators as things this typically emotionally charged typically do. And I think we're just seeing that process laid out and we're seeing some pain from it, um, especially in the case of Juwan Mitchell, who I believe after a reported meeting with Chris Del Conte and student athletes tweeted out that he no longer felt comfortable playing at the university of Texas. So representing the University of Texas. I don't think he put put the uh, tag of playing on it. Mm -hmm. So this is a really emotionally charged, and that's not even to mention the eyes of Texas, which I believe that, you know, if you haven't listened to Paul and Kevin's most recent episode, uh, I believe they do a great job. And even uh, Paul put a post on Barking Carnival with a extremely, extremely measured way of looking at the eyes of Texas, still acknowledging that the the terrible show from which it came, but also admitting that it may have changed since then. So I would recommend that for a listen and for a read for sure, because I think it's it's something I wholeheartedly agree with. But you know what as far as Juwan Mitchell and the team, uh, as you know, he it is very, very likely that there are others that think Similarly, similarly, blah, can't talk. Similarly to him. Mm -hmm. So, what? I mean, what, what do you? What, what's to make of releasing a statement like that, where he doesn't feel comfortable uh, representing the University of Texas um, after you know Chris Del Conte and I believe uh, either other administrators or Jay Hartzell are trying to talk things out with the student athletes who made those requests. Well, I just don't know what Jawan Mitchell means when he says, I do not feel comfortable representing the University of Texas. Does that mean he's not going to play football again for UT? Does that mean he's going to put his name in the transfer portal again? Does that mean he's going to stop playing football altogether and transfer somewhere else? Like what? We don't know what that means exactly. And Jawan Mitchell is the third Texas player in the last two weeks to at least hint at not playing for Texas. The other two were Brennan Eagles who had the first of the social media posts a couple of weeks ago. This one became national news when he said, I'll be damned if I play another snap for the University of Texas with this country the way that it is. Then you had Anthony Cook last week tweet out that he wasn't going to play for UT ever again. Uh, it seems like both guys are back in the fold. right? I mean, the day after Brennan Eagles posted his post on social media, he was working out with Sam Ellinger and other teammates, and then also he's reportedly been at the workouts this week. And same thing with Anthony Cook. Like, it seems like he is planning to be a part of this football team in 2020. So, look, I don't want to call out Juwan Mitchell. I just don't know exactly what he meant by that statement. It's a well-written statement. It's a well-thought-out statement, and I support whatever he decides to do. I'm just not entirely sure what he's deciding to do uh, with that statement. And, of course, the timing of it's a little bit interesting. You mentioned that meeting that Chris Del Conte and Jay Hartzell had with the football team a couple of days ago. That tweet went out right after that meeting came to a close. And by most accounts, mm -hmm. that meeting was productive and it went pretty well. And Juwan Mitchell was the only tweet that we saw, uh, at least in terms of that fashion, uh, to come from that meeting. So, yeah, it's just interesting timing, and, and it leaves some questions. It's pretty vague with what exactly Jawan Mitchell means when he says, I do not feel comfortable representing the University of Texas. I think right now, at least 
it, vague needs to be the enemy right now. It, it, you, neither side in all of this, and it's, it's side is such a strange word to use on this because it's not like the U, UT administrator side is basically saying, no, shut up. That's, that's not the case. <clears throat> that, that, I know that sides may give that connotation, but still. But both, both parties, I guess, need to know that vague will help no one. And they need to be able to talk about specific things. And I think the student athletes have done a great job of doing that. There's some that with uh, specifically naming buildings, uh, the Julius Whittier uh, part of their statement, honoring the program's first letterman. Um, there's a lot of specific things that are pretty easy to do. Yeah. And a, a lot of specific things on, on the student athletes and the administration can be, can take care of if things get vague like Mitchell's statement was all it does is really cause confusion there are going to be people who immediately come to Mitchell's side like yeah you know no we still like you mentioned still don't know what he means but just going to come yeah you're right and then there are going to be people who will look at that see the vagities the, the the vague part of it and say man what are you talking about so I have no problem with a student athlete speaking out speaking his emotions because, like we've mentioned, this is an extremely emotionally charged topic. Yep. But vague, being vague is something that doesn't help anybody's cause at this point. And I think that's what both sides need to work on. And, and I think both sides need to work on it as well. Because, remember, they, they sent a list of requests. They didn't make demands that I believe the very first words were, you know, some requests. And... This is, I mean, I don't, regardless of what you think on the issue, there's, there's give and take and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And not to say that the, uh, the requests of the players are not righteous, but at the same time, there has to be understanding that this is still a little bit of a negotiation, especially when you throw down, not throw down, but write down and say what you did about a song that nobody, you know, has the same associations that they don't think of racist, awful history. Now, not to say that the players who think that are wrong, because that's that's what they think. They're, that's their opinion, and I can't walk in their shoes to to understand what that might feel like. Especially, you know, you and me who grew up probably singing that song. And there's some home videos in our houses of us bumbling the lyrics with with our horns up, with wearing diapers or something like that. But I think what both sides need to be able to do is find common ground and um, at this point when you have those vague from from anybody anything vague is going to make finding common ground a little bit more difficult yeah you know i will support these student athletes throughout their entire lives right i'm not one of those fans who only cares about these guys for what they do on the field i'll support them before during and after their Texas careers, and hell, I, I don't care if they go to Texas or not. I'm going to support people. I'm going to support good people. So if Jawan Mitchell wants to stop playing football, he wants to focus on creating some change in his community, I will support that and back him 100%. And I think with that What Starts Here changes the world movement that we saw, not only from football players, but from uh, a lot of student athletes on the 40 Acres. I think that was beautifully written, and I think it was very poignant. And I think a lot of the requests that you just talked about with the changing of the names of buildings, with the removal of statues, with the Julius Whittier recognition, whether it's a statue or a section of the stadium or part of the Hall of Fame, whatever, maybe all the above, uh, I agree with those wholeheartedly. Some of those changes should have already been done years ago. There's no question about that. Uh, The Eyes of Texas one is obviously the one that's going to ruffle some feathers, and it has ruffled some feathers, and also the financial Donations. I'm not quite sure if that's possible because the university is mm-hmm. a public university. It's a state-regulated university, so I don't know if there's a way that UT can do that without the state's blessing or consent. But, look, Joe, the reason this is such a big story, not just around Austin, not just around Longhorn Nation, but the entire nation, is because they threw in the eyes of Texas debate. Like, mm-hmm. 
I don't know if the players realistically think or ever thought that that was going to get removed or changed altogether, but just throwing something like that in there, throwing something so controversial, so out there, is going to make people talk about all the other issues. And it can kind of be used as a negotiating tactic from the side of the players who want things changed on campus. They might say, all right, you're not going to change the eyes, but you have to change all this stuff, otherwise we're not going to play. Like, they didn't demand everything needs to be changed. They, they just requested you know some of the things, and here's some of the ideas that we have. But the only reason we're talking about it, or at least the nation is talking about it, is because they put the alma mater in there. Uh, that was a great headline thing. It's almost like Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless something, saying something very <laughs> off the wall. By the way, I respect the student-athletes takes way more than I respect most of those guys take, so I don't mean to <laughs> stoop them to that level. But no, the reason those guys make millions of dollars to do what they do is... Oh, they create controversy and they create conversation. Like they stir the pot, they say things that are going to generate conversation, and that's exactly what throwing the eyes of Texas into that statement did. There's no denying there's racist undertones and there is a racist history with the eyes of Texas. That's just fact. That's not an opinion. But I don't think that's ever getting changed. But I do think the other things are going to get changed and they should get changed. And I also think that the players won't be required to stand for the eyes of Texas anymore. I am curious what happens 78 days from now when Texas takes the field against South Florida right after the game. Or Are the players going to stand on the field and do the eyes? Are they going to kneel? Are they going to run to the locker room? What are the fans going to do? If there are fans in the stands, I'm very curious to see what happens. But I think it was genius by the players. Even if they never thought the eyes of Texas was going to get removed or changed, uh, it was genius of them to throw this in there because it's created a conversation on a national scale and has made these guys, has given these guys a bigger platform for them to try to create some change for the better. Right. And I, even just thinking back of it, I think the only thing that keeps players staying for the eyes of Texas is longtime entrenched expectations and affinity by fans of the song. Uh, I don't think there's any letter of the law on team rules requiring it because I've seen it broken before. I've seen that expectation not met, I guess. Not, not to say that I I think you know what I mean. But still, I mean, it's one of those things where I don't think there's like a, a letter of the law that says players must remain. And if the easiest thing to uh, settle this issue, this this request they have is to not require them mm-hmm. to stay, then I think that's extremely easy. And, you know, it, it may put a frown on a lot of different fans' face or honestly, I mean, it may put a, a frown on some fans' face, but still – you know, if that's the most equitable way to settle this, and along with doing a lot of the other things that the student athletes have requested, that may be the easiest way to settle it. I don't think they're on the field, um, not only for the national anthem, but for the eyes of Texas. And I remember that kind of being a conversation a few years ago. Herman was asked, like, hey, what happens if one of your players does this? And, well, he's like, uh, they're not on the field, so I don't know what to, what to really tell you. I don't think they are for the first one. I think they're either in the tunnel or walking through the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Um, after the game, obviously, is a little bit different. Um, and I think still one thing that we, we didn't exactly touch on, but it's still noting, is that they're not refusing to play if these are not met. At least I don't think that's what the request they're said. They're just refusing, I think, to do uh, official donor functions and, and recruiting events. Uh, which are still pivotal to how a football program runs, but you can that's that's a little bit different than saying we're not practicing, we're not playing. Right. So I think that's something you also have to keep in mind and in that it wasn't this all or nothing ultimatum because if it was, then this would be probably far more emotionally charged than it, it is. Um, and I think including the eyes, I think you kind of alluded to this, it doesn't make it just an athletic department issue. It brings kind of the whole university into this. And it, it doesn't just – it falls outside of uh, – some of it falls outside of Chris Del Conte's purview. Whether he likes that or not, who knows. But still, it, it, this isn't just an athletic department thing. These are student-athletes yeah. trying to change the whole of the university for the better. Well, go go uh, so, back to when you graduated, yeah. Joe. I mean, we all sing the eyes of Texas at our graduation. Like, what's Mm-mm. going to happen there? Serious question. Like, are half the people not going to sing it? Are people going to be sitting down during the eyes of Texas? Is that going to be have to change? Is that going to have to be changed? Like, 
Obviously, people associate it with sports the most, but it is a total university-wide thing, and it's going to be viewed differently from here on out. I don't think they're going to change it. I don't think they should change it, but it's not going to be universally liked and universally accepted like it seemingly has been in the past. And it's it, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think they should change it. But here's the thing that I've kind of wrestled with over the past few days. Even if they do, and graduation that you brought up is a perfect example. Are you remembering the song at your graduation? Or are you remembering all the effort that you put in to get your degree and to be able to hear your name called to get that degree at the University of Texas. It's like any other song, you know? Hey, I'm, I'm at, you're a big fan of Turnpike Troubadours. They're not together anymore. They're not making any new music, but they were kind of a little bit of a soundtrack of my college experience. Now, because they're not making new music, because, you know, I'm still stuck listening to Diamonds and Gasoline from 10 years ago, does that mean that the time I spent with my friends, you know, hanging out on a, on a roof on a Saturday night, was is anything less because they're not making music anymore and I don't have a new song? No, I'm remembering those experiences. And, 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 you know, I don't have any kids. You don't have any kids. And I know that so many people teach their children the eyes of Texas and, and that type of thing. Are you remembering your, the song or are you remembering that time that you're spending with your child? Are you remembering the song or are you remembering the time that Vince Young crossed the goal line? Maybe that's me rationalizing something and, and potentially rationalizing what if they do decide to take away the eyes of Texas or discontinue its use on campus. Maybe that's just me rationalizing and trying to figure out a way to say it's okay. And, and, and even though I don't think it should be discontinued because of what Scipio, uh, Paul Waldington, laid out beautifully in the last episode. But the thing is, is yes, it enhance for a lot of people. It enhances the experience, but it's it's not the experience. And I know it. I know some people may listen to this and think I'm an idiot and think that it's very difficult to separate the two. You know, separate seeing the eyes of Texas in the Rose Bowl on January fourth, two thousand six, from the win. And I, hey, I I completely understand why, but. You know, the thing is, if it is changed, you're not remember. It's not the exactly the song. It's what you did at the University of Texas to get that degree that makes it so special mm-hmm. to you. Not them playing the song at the end of your four years. It's what they did during the game to get the win, or to dogpile, or to cut down the nets, or you know, to throw Eddie Reese in the pool. It's what they did <laughs> to get to that that you remember. Not them singing the song after. Maybe that's a rationalization. I know that's an opinion people may not share, sure. but that's that's kind of the way that I look at it. Yeah, uh, kind of separating the art from the artist, too, I think is uh, another way to look at it. And I'm going to be supportive. I mean, if players don't want to stand for the eyes of Texas, if the guys take a knee, if they head back to the locker room, I'm not going to boo. That's their right. That's their prerogative. They can do whatever they want. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think the song should be changed. I hope that doesn't make me ignorant. Once again, I acknowledge the the history of the song, and I acknowledge where it started, but I also acknowledge that the lyrics are not race, like they don't have anything to do with racism, and I don't think it's celebrating racism to sing that song. Uh, But that's just me. And once again, everybody's got their own opinion. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I think that's a big problem we're having as a country nowadays. It's it's my way or the highway, and your opinion is wrong, and I'm not going to listen to you or respect you if you... Uh, say something different than what I think. Like I've always said, you don't gain my respect as a person for being right. You gain my respect by your ability to critically think. And I think those are the conversations that we need to have. And I've been listening to a lot of people trying to have as many conversations as possible about the eyes of Texas and obviously on a much bigger scale, things that are going on in this country. And uh, I think that's all we can do right now. So whatever people want to do with this song, I will support it. But For me, I don't think it should be changed, and I just, I don't think it will be changed. But if it does get changed, if they do something about it, then I will support it. I'm not going to not support the University of Texas or the student-athletes or these programs anymore uh, just because they change a song if they're trying to create change for the better. Yeah, and I think that's a... uh... Good place to end it off because uh, you got a you got a show you got a Friday show to go 
uh, host in a couple of minutes, don't you? Oh, yeah. Friday show, man. Friday show. Looking forward to it. Should be fun. And this was a fun episode. Some good conversation, some serious conversation, some fun conversation as well. But uh, crazy times, man. Crazy times throughout this mm-hmm. country. I'll tell you what, Joe. The next podcast we do where we don't have to mention coronavirus or COVID is going to be the best podcast I've ever had. Now, the next radio show that I do where that word or those words aren't mentioned is going to be the best radio show I've ever had. I am, I am so ready for that part of this life to be over, man. I'm surprised you haven't leaned into what your normal pronunciation is and calling it COVID, <laughs> program and other things like that. So maybe I'll start doing that. There you go. I don't respect it enough to, uh, to to give it that type of pronunciation, man. It's crazy. Good call. All right. So appreciate y'all listening. Thanks for uh, always tuning in, for liking, for sharing, and subscribing to the One and O podcast. Be sure to check out the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast as well with Kevin and Paul. Follow Joe on Twitter at josephcook89. Check out the great work that he does and the entire team does at InsideTexas.com. Also follow them on Twitter as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Brad Kellner and listen to the Triple Option with RBKD weekdays from 3 to 7 on the Horn and HornFM.com. Send us an email. Everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com if you want to contact us directly. Thanks again to our sponsors, Audiovisual Consultations and Altstat Beer. And thanks to all of you. For Joe Cook, I am BK Brad Kellner signing off. Until next time, you'll have a good one. Stay safe, stay healthy, and hook them.